Hey everyone, welcome to Go Bold. So this episode is yet another first for us, as it's the first time we are welcoming two guests for an episode. And I'm thrilled to say that both of my guests are senior leaders in their respective companies. The focus of our discussion today centers around the critical aspect of supporting the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, and we're specifically focusing on Canada's future fleet of F-35s, of which the Royal Canadian Air Force will operate 88 of the highly advanced 5th generation stealth aircraft. Joining me today is Jacques Comtois, who is the Vice President of Arcfield Canada, a company that has been a trusted partner to the Canadian Armed Forces for more than 35 years in supplying in-service and integrated logistics support to the CF-18 fleet through its expertise in supply chain management, maintenance and repair, and engineering solutions. Also joining today is René de Koning, the CEO and owner of One Logistics, a company that was specifically set up to support the European F-35 program dealing with European rules, regulations, and complexities impacting the F-35 supply chain. Buying aircraft is one thing, but supporting them is another thing altogether. So what you'll hear in this episode is the importance of efficiently supporting the F-35, which requires sustainment in a whole new way, and you'll hear all about it framed in the context of service to country, entrepreneurship, outright fortitude, and lessons learned. It's a really interesting discussion, so let's roll the music and get at it. everybody. Welcome to Go Bold. My name is Jody Atariwala and I'm your host. And today I'm very happy to have two guests join me on the line. I'm joined by Jacques Comtois, who is the Vice President of Operations and Strategic Growth at Arcfield Canada. And I'm also joined by René de Koning, who is the founder, owner, and CEO of One Logistics, which is based in the Netherlands. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's wonderful to have you on Go Bold. Well, thank you so much, Joey. Very happy to be here. I greatly appreciate your time. Uh, so, Jacques, as I do with all of my guests, I start out by asking what made you join the military and what made you pick the branch that you did? Wow, that's uh, going to bring me back a long time ago now, Joey. It's, uh, I was 17 years old. And at that time, I basically realized, because as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from Quebec, Montreal specifically, and I wanted to have like, you know, travel, adventures, experiences. And I said, I'll be probably very limited if I don't learn English. So believe it or not, my first, I guess, you know, reason for joining the military was to learn English and have obviously the ability then thereafter to travel and have a sense of adventure or fulfill that, you know, desire I had to experiment, do different things. So, so that's why I joined uh, basically by going to the uh, downtown recruiting office in Montreal, say, Hey, I'm interested. Why the air force, to be honest with you, I had no idea. I just wanted to learn English and wanted to travel or visit the world or tour the world and all this. So, and it's true, obviously, the recruiting officer probably looking at is what is my most urgent requirements right now? And, you know, where do I basically put this guy like, you know, against Army, Navy or Air Force? And I guess Air Force was probably more in demand that specific week in that specific year. <laughs> and uh, I end up to say or to have him offer me to say, hey, you should join the Air Force. And then do this all these tests that measure, obviously, different things about your IQ, I guess, and your aptitudes and what you like and dislike. Um, and then I was offered to basically join the Air Force and uh, don't obviously regret any of it. It's been a fantastic experience, uh, you know, back then. So I joined when I was 17, like I said, and had a pretty good career, 22 years. Uh, I would say uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, seen and done so many different things and enjoy obviously every single minute of it. Uh, that's wonderful to hear Jacques and uh, clearly the English training worked. 
it work in some ways anyway. I still I still like look for some words sometimes because obviously, you know, the uh, the English is not being my mother tongue. I have to, you know, think about. But I remember this individual, just another funny story, if you allow me, Juetti, is you know, somebody said to me, You know you become bilingual when you start dreaming in English or whatever language you start like to to learn and all this. So I was always looking forward to that, to wake up in the morning for a number of years and say, did I dream in English or did I dream in French last night or whatever? <laughs> so I don't remember if I, if I one morning I said, oh, yeah, that, I did uh, dream in English. So, so I must be like pretty bilingual by now. But That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you dreaming it bilingually now? I, I, you know, I don't pay attention very much to that anymore. So I don't know. I don't know in what language I dream. Yeah. Wish I could dream in, in Dutch sometimes. Right. Because, uh, right. I was just going to say, it'd be yeah. funny if you were dreaming in Spanish or something random, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jacques, you ended up in the maintenance support area of the Air Force. How did that happen? So obviously, again, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I don't know if things align exactly in your... I don't know if you believe in karma and all this, but, uh, you know, I started in the pilot stream. So I, I was uh, basically, uh, you know, I did all the testing and all this, went to, at the time, Porter's of Prairie to do the initial pilot training and all this. Came the day where you have, after, I don't remember a number of hours, it's a pretty short number of hours, but let's say about 20 hours of flying with an instructor, you have to do your solo trip. Basically, you go on a trip with the instructor again, and depending how well you're doing that trip, after, like I say, the number of hours you're supposed to have basically master how you're going to pilot this Beechcraft airplane, they basically say, okay, you can stay on, you know, and don't, don't turn the engine off, the pilot, the instructor pilot gets off and they go and let you do a solo trip. Well, my instructor didn't let me go on a solo trip. I guess I was too dangerous to myself and, and the rest of the world. So I didn't pass, and I was pretty devastated, to be honest with you, Joetti, because, you know, obviously, it's one of those things where you, throughout, like, you know, my basically young life at the time, you know, I was maybe at 19 years old then, um, you know, you, you have basically known success after success after success. You know, everything I'd been doing at school and in sports and, you know, joining the military and, you know, you get success. And that was really the first time that I got like, you know, a failure. So I learned a lot from that time. But as a result of that, to answer your question is I basically decided or not really decided I was offered obviously stayed in the military. And the option was to become a, basically a maintenance officer to become an area officer. Uh, so I said, of course, I still really enjoyed the military and everything that was basically uh, part of, you know, going to school and learning and trade and all this. So I decided to stay on. And, and then again, graduated, left, uh, obviously, uh, military uh, college there, got my first posting and, and really enjoyed that. And that's probably something you've realized through the many podcasts you've done so far with people from the military. There's probably not a greater school than the military to teach you about how to lead people. Like Air was, like, you know, I was 22 years old when I graduated. And basically, you have, you know, 80-some people, a lot of them more senior than you. Like, some of them are in 50s and 40s and 30 years old and all this. And they report to you and they're looking up to you for leadership and telling them, you know, what they're expected to do. I mean, you learn from such a young age how to lead people and work with people. And I mean, there's so much to be said about the military. And I certainly encourage anybody that uh, come to me uh, and they say, well, I'm not sure what to do. I always say, you know, you should try the military for a few years. Even if you don't make a career out of it, you're going to learn so much about different things, but also people, um, you know, how people react, how people act. It's a great way of like i say developing your skills how to be with people and it's all about people crack it's all about relationship it's all about contact so yeah military i i cannot speak highly enough about what the military brings so yeah like i say pretty good career um, and decide to eventually leave not because i didn't want to stay in the military but because again i just mentioned about people 
it came to a place in time where you're you get promoted and promoted and you get obviously a commanding position then after that is basically all about staff jobs in either Winnipeg for the Air Force Winnipeg Ottawa I mean the choices are restricted but you become like a staff officer where you still have teams but much smaller teams obviously and with specific project and me it was all about having this big mission and you know establishing this common vision of what we want to do as a squadron and and where we're going to do it and all this so when i saw that basically point in my career i was only at the time again 38 years old i said you know time to maybe move from the military to the private industry to say there's another opportunity to lead people in a different capacity obviously so let's go and try it so that's why i decided to do back then but yeah only great memories about the military and like i say highly recommended for anyone that's uh, unsure about what to do because you get to do so many things it certainly help you select after that what you would like to do for maybe a career or anyway a sphere of of activity that probably will interest you more than another one so yeah you know i love that jacques because you ended up as the commanding officer of 3 air maintenance squadron with the Royal Canadian Air Force and like you said you know you led this team which was supporting the CF18 in Canada and i believe you were based at Canadian Forces base in Bagotville that foundation has done you well because you know you have gone on now as you as you mentioned to lead other teams in industry and you find yourself today as vice president of operations and strategic growth at Arcfield Canada which i think is awesome so you know you are still serving the military just not in uniform yeah there's there, there's so many of us crack we do a career or part of a career in the military and then like for whatever different reasons we leave the military but there's so many of us that are still involved in supporting the military in some capacity in terms of just like myself but i mean i i you know when we have reunion you see like everybody is still related in some fashion and supporting the military from far or near and definitely yeah still working on the CF18 you know after all these years and and we all know that uh, you know it's coming to an end now by the 2030 time frame or so but the aircraft will have been in service you know for over 40 years um it's quite it, it's good i mean maybe i'll decide to retire at the same time i guess you know in the sense that i'll say okay you know the aircraft is retiring so it's probably time for me to also retire and and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of uh, my life there watching other people succeeding beyond me but yeah definitely everything i've done in military is serving me today all of the contacts also again like it's about people trust uh you know so definitely when i meet people that are serving currently today there's the already that that first barrier is is gone because people will say oh you know jacques was in military understand the cf18s understand you know what's required to support the aircraft so already you establish quickly like you know a raison d'être as to why we're in this together and how we're going to support the CF18 going forward. So yeah, it's it's uh it's uh it's very exciting after all these years to still be involved with the CF18. Yeah, and now uh, the Royal Canadian Air Force, the Canadian government has selected the F35 as the solution to the future fighter capability project. So I believe 88 F35s will be coming to Canada and they will eventually need support too. Exactly. And uh, you know, I think everybody is happy to see Canada moving to a fifth generation fighter aircraft. It's going to bring tremendous new capability for the Royal Canadian Air Force. There's no question about that. CF18 was a great aircraft. But it was acquired in 1980, so you know, like I say, long lustrous career for that aircraft, but now it's time to move on to the fifth generation. It's so much more capable as a fighter. Um so as we look at this we say how do we prepare ourselves for that support going forward how do we move from a fourth generation platform to fifth generation platform things have drastically changed not only in the avionics side but also the way the supply chain management is performed now and especially part of the JSF the joint uh, strike fighter office and program 
you know, there is already an ecosystem of support that's there. So how does Canada finds its way in that new uh, way of doing business? Because obviously before Canada was pretty autonomous, you know, and now we're going to be part of a major program with uh, over 3000 aircraft flying around the world and being supported by uh, contractors already in place, already selected by the U.S. government to support the aircraft. But Canada would still have a sovereign responsibility. So we sat back and I look back again. We were talking about contacts and all this, GOAT, before there, about military contacts and all this. And when I left my military position and joined the private industry, I had many opportunities that allowed me to work and travel around the world. And one of those opportunities was in Amsterdam, in Netherlands, where I worked with Bombardier there. I was working for Bombardier at that time, I should say. And I uh, came across, uh, you know, great people, obviously, like everywhere else in the world, and got to know Rene, who is with me this afternoon. Rene was in the logistic world and quite involved, quite an expert, but then decided to uh, basically plunge ahead, if you want, believe in the fact that the Dutch government would acquire the F-35 and would need the type of support system and created this company that, you know, basically is the CEO today. But again, started from literally one logistics. One person, one logistics. Yeah, exactly. So that's so awesome. This is, it is. It is very unique. I mean, you hear about all these great entrepreneurs, and that's why I've got so much respect for Rene. You hear about these entrepreneurs that works from their garage or whatever, and they come up with these great ideas and develop companies. I mean, we've all seen different movies about that. But that's basically Rene's story. So, Well, I'm happy to have you as a model to emulate, Rene. Uh, and you also wanted to serve in the military, but it didn't pan out for you. I hope you'll share why. Yeah, they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't want me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing basketball for all my life now, more than 40 years now. But at that time, I, I was 18 and you get drafted. You need to go for your number. You had to be tested, but then I was 17 or 18, and I already strained my ankles for three or four times. So they said, well, we got enough people, Renee, we don't need you. So I didn't, uh, I didn't have to go in the uh, military, so I, uh, I actually went to university. I failed in the first year because I, I, I took a long way getting there, and I didn't have enough span of attention, so I started to work. And I worked for uh, a temp office, and suddenly there was an offer from the Dutch government to uh, to become a licensed customs broker. That's a guy that, that does all the customs work. Never heard of it. The Dutch government paid for it, so I said, well, let's do it. So instead of going into the military and going to the university, I started to work for a large logistics firm where my career started at Amsterdam Airport as a customs broker knowing everything about customs rules and regulations. And actually, it, it helped me 35 years later winning this proposal for the F-35 because customs and tariff taxes and duties is a big issue in the program because it's creating additional cost to the program, additional cost to the taxpayer, and nobody likes that. So I worked at the airport for 35 years, working as a logistics manager, working for high-velocity industries, Aerospace, defense, pharmaceuticals, high-tech, helping a lot of companies standing up capabilities in the European region. And that's a little bit of background. And in 2006, I knew that the F-35 was on the radar of the Netherlands Air Force. So I thought with my logistics background, there is logistics needed if you operate a plane like that. So I got involved. Uh, brought a group of people and a group of companies together. And in 2009, we started an initiative called One Logistics, teaming up with 10 or 12 other companies. But this program goes very slow. So in 2010, 2011, all those companies said, Rene, buddy, good luck with your <laughs> F-35 program. Call us when you need help but we go back to our normal job and and because they probably thought it's never going to work but i kept faith and i kept being involved with uh, with the f-35 program and in 2015 the u.s government issued a request for proposal to all the f-35 countries to develop 
a logistic system for the F-35. But that proposal went to the Dutch government. So the Ministry of Defense, Ministry of Economic Affairs, and they had no clue on what to do with it. Mm. And they said, well, there's one guy that knows. Let's call Rene. <laughs> It's Excellent. A, it's obviously a small country over there, it's something you had Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> everybody knows everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so they called me and said, Renee, you want to get involved? I said, Yeah, why not? So it, in, in the beginning, I was working for that, a large logistics firm. I was chief commercial officer worldwide. I said, Well, I'll spend some hours. And my boss said, Renee, do whatever you want. Business is okay if you want to do that on the side. But at a certain moment in time, it took me 10 to 20 hours a week on top of the 60 hours I was already working. So I oh, thought, wow. well, we're, I'm doing something wrong. So I, <laughs> I said to the government, pay me for two years and I'll win it. No kidding. And they said, All right, we'll pay you. And 18 months later, we got a call from uh, actually the Secretary of Defense. Our Dutch Secretary of Defense was visiting the Pentagon. And she was told, congratulations, Netherlands, you won the logistics capability for the European region. Fantastic. It is quite an achievement when you think about it. It is wonderful that Rene, as one individual, was able to put this all together. Yeah. So it is it is quite an achievement and admired, like I say, the entrepreneurship that Rene has displayed and this experience that he has gained, and obviously the Netherlands has gained, but Rene with his company, One Logistics, that's why it prepares us so well to support the F-35 coming online in Canada. And that's why we're associating ourselves together to be able to build on the expertise on the CF-18 joint that we've had now for 35 years, uh, build on that with all the lessons learned that One Logistics has now since 2016 and 17, 18, you know, uh, actual aircraft since 2019. So they're basically at least four or five years ahead of us in terms of deploying that capability and here we can together, because of our relationship, going to be able to make sure Canada doesn't repeat the same mistakes and quickly put something in place. Hopefully, we're selected uh, the same way One Logistics was in Netherlands, but we're selected by Canada to do the same thing in Canada as they do in Netherlands. So that's why we're so excited. And like I say, it started from you know me doing my own path, Rene doing his own path, but we cross path, like I say. At one point in the uh, probably 2008 time frame, yeah. 2008 time frame, we crossed back in Amsterdam, kept in touch through social media over all these years. And then as we started scratching our head at Arkfield to say, how do we get ready for the F-35? I said, well, let me reach out to Rene because he's quite involved. And since then, we haven't stopped exchanging. Rene's coming regularly to Canada, meeting everybody here. So you've been to the Netherlands. We've been to the Netherlands to visit your installation. The, the interesting thing is that what we have stood up in the Netherlands is exactly what you need to stand up in Canada. So two operating bases where the planes are actually flying. We have a engine depot where the engines are repaired. We have an airframe depot as from early next year. We have a regional warehouse. The difference is, is that the regional warehouse, we have a regional function, so we support all the 11 European countries, but on a area just as big as the state of Maryland, while you have to roll it out in a country that is probably 50 times as big as the Netherlands or, or even more. Right, right. Well, you know, and that's the interesting thing. There's so much here that is fascinating to me. Number one, I love the entrepreneurial spirit, Rene. And it's so cool that you persevered when people kind of backed out a bit and said, hey, you know, <laughs> enjoy. We'll, we'll see you later. Yeah. But, but it, it's, it's wonderful because you recognized that this was going to be a requirement that was coming down and you had that expertise. So that is awesome. I commend you for that. And, uh, oh, and that's, just to give you a little bit of background, sure. this is such a big program. Yes. And my company is so small and agile that we see a lot of opportunities to do things better. But the program is like an oil tanker. So sometimes I feel like I'm, we're, we're trying to turn an oil tanker with our bare hands, which right. is normal for these big programs. And the program and the primes, they appreciate us for being forward leaning. But this is not something you can do as a nine to five job. Right. 
if you're in this business, mm -hmm. you do it 24-7, you live it, you breathe it, this is what you do. You can't do it on the side. It needs to have full attention and full visibility. And yet it's still being relatively small. Are you still able to, you know, as you are supporting these 11 different nations operating the F-35 in Europe, are you still able to be agile? Yes, we are. Because what we, we do, we act as an integrator or call it a coordination center. So we work very closely with the Netherlands MOD. Okay. So the large number of people that are active are in the warehouse to do the order pick, the receiving of the parts, the checking of the parts, storing the parts and shipping them out to the nations. We manage a large group of Netherlands MOD staff. So I have a very small group. I have 15 people, small group, but the brightest people in the market running this program. So I like to keep that group very small and utilize the capabilities of others. And capabilities of others could be the Netherlands MOD, could be companies that are specialists in trucking or customs brokerage or other stuff. So the trick is that we know who is good at what. And we utilize that capability and offer that to the program to make sure that the program can deliver its promise with regards to readiness, flexibility, agility, because we need to scale up, especially with what is happening in Europe with Ukraine. We need to scale up and you need to do it affordable because it's easy spending money. Uh, it's more interesting to do it more smart and more affordable. I concur. And I love your approach of hiring the best people, the only true professionals. And then I assume that you empower them, you know, because I, I always think about that. You know, if you, if you have a good team under you, you don't need to micromanage because you should know that they know their business. They know what they're doing. And that Absolutely. way you can keep it small and, uh, Absolutely. and agile. Yep. Yeah. So they know they live the program also 24 seven. They work with the prize. They work with the warfighters and that's the way to do it. Hey friends, here is a message about our sponsor, Cubic Defense. The episode you're hearing about is focused on the 5th Gen F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. So do you know who best supports fighter pilots and other warfighters to be the best that they can be? Well, that is Cubic Defense. Cubic supports military training by providing warfighters the cutting-edge tools that are necessary for operational success. Cubic leads the way with highly precise tracking systems for aircraft and test ranges. This technology has been adopted by militaries around the world and includes capabilities like Air Combat Maneuvering Instrumentation, or ACMI, which this year celebrates 50 years in support to Allied Air Forces. So important is this technology that it is embedded as an internal subsystem in the F-35, Cubic has also developed SPEAR, a revolutionary learning platform for multi-domain operations and training. SPEAR is a Department of Defense-approved technology stack that reduces cognitive burden through optimized displays and analytics of kinetic and non-kinetic data with weapons effects in multi-domain operations and LVC environments. SPEAR basically melds objective and subjective data with a time-synchronized, real-time mission log and after-action reporting. This means the SPEAR software allows warfighters at the unit level or enterprise training and operations level to visualize operations throughout the mission cycle, which enables them to understand multi-domain operations like never before. At all levels of combat preparation and execution, Cubic Defense delivers real results. To learn more about them, please visit cubic.com. Now, let's get back to our chat. So now you have come together with Arcfield Canada, and it seems like just a wonderful collaboration because Arcfield Canada has this long history of supporting the CF-18 in Canada. You now have an established support structure in Europe to support the F-35 there. And you just mentioned how Canada is such a large country. And although we probably are going to have fewer jets overall than what will be based in Europe, um, 
there is a logistics issue here with distance and being able to support not just at the main operating bases in Bagotville and Cold Lake, but I assume also up in forward operating bases as well. Yeah, your question now you're directly with the uh, operational model for the NORAD mission. And you're right. So there's forward operating locations. There's uh, bases for deployment also to the east and the west coast, you know, outside of Cold Lake and Bagotville, obviously. Right. So, yeah. So the makeup of the supply chain, or not a makeup, but the extended supply chain, the ability to support all of these locations will be a, definitely a challenge in Canada just because of this span of uh, country that we have to cover. And just, you know, about the fact that, yeah, we'll have 88 aircraft in Canada, so a lot less than altogether in Europe. But you have to remember that the vast majority of the F-35 will be based in North America, correct? The Americans, you know, in the Marines and Navy will be operating upwards of 2,000 aircraft in continental United States. So including Canada, we have aspirations as partners here to provide a lot more than just to the eight aircraft, but offer also to the program to say the regional warehouse in Canada could support, obviously, the rest of the fleet that's based also in the United States, because this is where you have redundancy. This is where you have ability to obviously have the part, the right place, the right time is basically viving, you know, and multitude and Obviously, there's a cost to it. I'm not saying you want to create 20 warehouses across uh, North America, but a sufficient number based on the objectives you're trying to achieve. So it's always a relationship to cost also, but we'll believe there's definitely a business case to be made to say we need an additional warehouse in Canada, not just for 88 aircraft, but also to support the bigger number of aircraft that are deployed across the United States and Canada to make sure that that part makes it to where it needs to be in the required time. So, you know, who's to say that part base, for example, in Calgary cannot make it to Alaska faster than one that's coming from the Eastern seaboard, for example, from the States or even California. So this is obviously our aspiration. It's not only for the Canadian aircraft, but the entire fleet that's based in the United States and Canada. And in a perfect world, you want to make those warehouses obsolete because nobody wants to keep stuff in a warehouse. Yeah. Right. But the world is not perfect. Right. There is transport issues. There is customers. There are delays. There is surge. There is scalability. So you need to build some sort of buffer. Getting parts at the right quantity at the right location to make sure that you meet the warfighter requirements and get stuff there. So it would be best to manage a network uh, without warehouses. But that's not going to happen. Going to add directly on that, I think the pandemic has taught us a lot about disruption to supply chain, correct? We all remember the difficulties we had in getting some of the basic things that we needed during the pandemic, the two and a half years of pandemic in Canada. People were saying, why don't I have X on the shelf when I go to the grocery store or something? And that's because of disruption to the supply chain, correct? So the point that Rene is making is, yeah, you know, the just in time. So we've We've been hearing that over a number of years, you know, all this just in time, uh, you know, parts, you know, so uh, right. the automotive, for example, uh, you know, production chain, the part arrive on the dock and within the same hours installed on the car that's being produced and all this. This works very well where you have things under control across the entire supply chain. But like I say, history, especially the pandemic, has thing made that really uh, forefront of everybody to say, oh, if there is something, whatever disruption that happened, you need to have those warehouses or something where you have a reserve of components, parts, they're available in times of crisis. So definitely, like, you know, this is, again, the analysis you have to make in ourselves and One Logistics, everybody that's involved in supply chain management has learned a lot of lessons over the pandemic about that and air forces and armies and navies everybody's realizing that too so oh it's so important you know if you if you're missing a part that whole weapon system is is useless if it's not in the air and if it's not operating there's millions yeah. of dollars being unutilized um so it leads me to ask Rene about how you go about supporting 
this behemoth that is the F-35 program. Like you said, it's like trying to steer a tanker with hands, but clearly you have developed a way to provide readiness, affordability, scalability, and you know agility to ensure that the F-35 program is meeting the requirements set out by the customer. Yeah, but keep in mind that we started with zero. We started with, <laughs> first shipment was one part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 2019, so... You grow into the program, you, of course, Europe was supported straight from the U.S., so the U.S. was sending parts straight to the countries. Right. We were standing up capability, slowly but gradually, we were declaring the regional warehouse IOC, initial operating capability, because we were able to receive parts, low volume, no pressure. Uh, that was in 2019, and last year we were declared FOC, full operational capable. We could we can handle all the parts, each and every part, and we can ship it to any location. So you grow gradually into that FOC, and the fleet grows. Mm-hmm. Because initially, there were also no F-35s in Europe. So course, now you right? see England, Norway, Italy, Netherlands, Israel, those countries that have F-35s. Others are yet to come, like Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Switzerland, Germany. They all still need to get their first plane. So we slowly grew from zero parts to a lot of parts we have now. Meanwhile, the program is expanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I would have done this for the F-16 program, if you do it from zero to 100 in, in, in two seconds, and have to do it for a whole fleet of F-16s, I would never have done it because the risk for failure is too big. But this slow growth, scaling up, gave me the confidence that we were able to do it. And you cannot oversell. You're measured based on your performance. And according to our customers, the performance is good. And we like to keep it that way. Absolutely. So how do you translate your expertise that you've developed in the European continent and now bring that over and partner with Arcfield? What is the strategy here? And by the way, Jacques, I love the approach that this collaboration is not just in desire to support the Canadian fleet, because I agree that you want to be able to support more because yeah, there's tyranny in distance. And so if you can support more than one fleet, I think that's, that's a good strategy. Yeah, no, definitely. No, the, the, the relationship between Canada and the Netherlands goes back a long time. There are a lot of Dutch people in Canada. Canada played an important role in the Second World War in the Netherlands. Right. So that helped the baseline. But what we have been doing, what we've learned in that almost 20 years, we could share that with Jacques and shorten the learning curve. Europe is more complex. Because all the countries, you have EU, you have non-EU, some are having import duties, others have that. There is a lot of complexity. You, you cannot truck parts in Germany during the weekend. So there is so much complexity. What we did in 2016, we simulated 15 different supply chains in the European region. For example, there is an Italian F-35 grounded in Germany. A part is needed on a Sunday. While no trucks can drive, the part is in the original warehouse, how to get it to Germany, and the retrograde part that comes up, at that time, we simulated that it had to be repaired in the UK. But at that time, we didn't know how the Brexit would turn out. The Brexit could be a good Brexit or a bad Brexit, so we simulated two options for the retrograde part to, to the UK, a good Brexit and a bad Brexit, and how to deal with it. So everything we did in 2016 to win this proposal, all those simulations can be used for the Canadian situation to help them stand up their capability fast. Yeah, exactly. So we've looked at all the material that René has produced with his team there in order to gain the confidence of the uh, Joint Program Office. And we're using that material. We're basically also using software tools. I think that's, again, some of the secret sauce to it is how you can automate some of the functions and all this, how you keep track of the parts and all this once they're in your system. Um, So these are all the things that one logistics is sharing with us. 
And that's why we're so confident, if you want, into the future of being able to provide a very good solution to Canada. Obviously, we expect there'll be a, you know, a due process for selecting the best value uh, service provider there to Canada. You know, we're not uh, immune or we don't think that they'll be just granted to us. But I think there is very much to be said about the experience gained by One Logistics over all these years of supporting the F-35. You know, we're not starting from nothing. Uh, Obviously, we talked about our F-18 experience, the F-18 specifically experience in Canada. But if you add on now all the experience and lessons learned from the F-35 that One Logistics has gained, I think it's an ideal solution for Canada to say, hey, I'm minimizing my risk because now all this knowledge is with Arcfield Canada and Arcfield Canada can therefore, right from day one, provide that support. We don't have to start at one part on the first shipment. We can receive a whole bunch of parts on the first shipment because we'll know what to do, how to basically deal with the incoming parts and what to do with the U.S. parts and all this. So I think it's ideal for Canada and the Royal Canadian Air Force to have people like herself that they're not waiting for a request for information or request for proposal, but taking the initiative to say, we're going to be there. We're going to be ready. Whenever you want to issue that request for proposal, we'll be there. We're not going to wait to have Canada identify something. We're saying to Canada, we're ready. You know, when you want us, we're ready to stand up. And our situation in Europe was slightly different. In 2016, uh, I think one of the strengths was to team up with the Dutch government. So I teamed up with Netherlands MLB, with the Ministry of Economic Affairs and with the Knowledge Institutes and said, we're going to have a Dutch team working on this. Our logistics is going to take the lead and we're going to win this for the Netherlands. So I had 70 companies, logistics companies behind me, some of them with $5 billion turnover. So a one-person company led an effort in the Netherlands together with the Dutch government and those 70 companies to win this for the Netherlands because we had to compete against the other F-35 countries in the European region. And the JPO, the Joint Program Office, selected the Netherlands, selected One Logistics to roll this out. But at that time, I also involved Dutch customs. So Mm. with the signing of the letter of intent, it was the Dutch government, but it was also Dutch customs. Because there's one entity that can stop a supply chain. <laughs> Customers right. can say, stop. <laughs> right. So you better have them on board. Of course, they work within the framework that they work in, but they're going to make sure that everything runs smooth and that helps the program tremendously. Are you able to translate that over to the Canadian model here? I'm not a Canadian, but the first thing I said to Jacques and his team is, You need to have the Canadian government at your side. They need to understand the added value that we can bring. It's the Canadian government that's our backbone. And we'll build the meat around the backbone. (laughs) We'll make sure that it works. But if if you don't have them, that's what's the learning curve I have. You need to have government support, and then you can move on. Yeah, step by step. Well, I would hope that that support would be forthcoming because, you know, the government has selected this aircraft. Now, I hope there is a whole of government approach that is now going to help support it. Yeah, no, and and so obviously in the coming weeks, months, that's going to be our plan, obviously, to meet with the different, like, you know, obviously there's a lot of entities. You talk about customs, Renee, but there's obviously, I said, the Innovation Science and Economic Development Department, Public Procurement, uh, D&D, um, you know, uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, the JPO itself. So we have a big plan of communication in all this, obviously, that will follow up, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and months, like I say. Just again, our idea is not to take anything for granted. Canada is going to follow the process it needs to follow. We just want, you know, with one logistics support, be able to educate Canada and all the entities, obviously, that uh, when I say Canada, I'm talking about all these entities to say, this is what has happened over like, you know, the last, uh, let's say, eight years of standing up the capability in Netherlands. So there's lessons learned there that you should be aware of. 
and we're ready, obviously, to provide that service based on those lessons learned. But like I say, Canada has to learn, and they're still learning. There was a um, virtual meeting from ICED and a number of participants to talk about the opportunities in sustaining the F-35 fleet. And you can tell that everybody's learning their way. This is a completely new program, different approach of acquiring a weapon system, being part of this humongous program. So it's going to be interesting years ahead for everybody in the industry and for the Canadian government. Absolutely. And Rene, for those that are listening to this podcast in Canada and further afield, what would be your advice to them to help efficiently sustain the F-35, regardless of where it may be? Work together as a team. Yeah. This is so big. This has so much impact. Nobody can do it alone. Industry can't do it alone. Government can't do it alone. JPOC can't do it alone. Primes can't do it alone. So here you need to find each other, help each other moving forward, create the path forward, and have a joint effort to get this going. If you only stare at your belly or uh, look through a straw and you want to do it yourself, it's going to be like hmm. Interesting. And so we've spoken about the fact of supporting the future F-35 Canadian fleet, but also other F-35s of allies. Do you foresee that this partnership that you guys are forging between Arcfield Canada and One Logistics, is this something that you perhaps might want to also leverage in Asia? Well, I'm not sure about Asia, but definitely the idea of partnering together for Canada. And like I said, our aspiration is to provide something for the whole continent. We want to also look at other fleets. And when I say fleets, it's not just aircraft fleet. There is other fleets, vehicles, ships, uh, whatever it is that you're operating as a weapon system. And there's application in other domains outside of defense in terms of what we can do together. The idea here is there's a very unique expertise that One Logistic has developed specifically about supply chain management. We've developed some of the same thing over the years in Canada. And now by combining our strength together and our lessons learned together, we think that we can offer first priority is definitely the F-35 in Canada with aspiration, as I mentioned. But then there's a whole bunch of other applications. Obviously, as you go to different markets like Asia that are foreign to us, you know, both One Logistics and Arcfield Canada, it's more and more difficult because some of those industry partners over there have a market established. What is here is that the JPO has appointed also capabilities to Asia Pacific countries. Like there's engine depot, there's an airplane depot in Australia, there's a regional warehouse in Australia yeah. that supports Asia Pacific. In Japan, there is a factory, like in Italy, there's a factory, a FACO for Europe. In Japan, there's a factory. So there are less countries in Asia Pacific. So it's Singapore, Japan, Korea, and Australia. Uh, they'll manage. It's a less complicated yeah. region. It's spread out. But Europe is complicated because it's condensed. Right. Multiple rules and regulations and countries, while America and Canada is different because it's so big. Right. So each region has its own challenges. Yes. Specifically yes. about the F-35. But like I say, we're looking at other things. Absolutely. No, it, it sounds like this can scale to many different types of platforms and areas. Um, when I was thinking about Asia, certainly there are Asian operators, but with the F-35 being more prevalent and having a greater significance, well, the significance of the F-35 is great no matter where it goes, but there is a peer uh, or pacing threat in China, and therefore the Asia-Pacific region is going to have more F-35s in the region from both America and I suspect from Canada moving forward. So they need to be supported there as well. Oh yeah, Don't the idea is obviously for us, wherever a Canadian F-35 will be deployed, we hope to have a role to play. But again, you have to remember, Juetti, it's part of this global sustainment support program that GSF has put together. So for example, a Canadian aircraft operating in Europe would be supported by Rene One Logistics in terms of supply chain. If it deployed to 
elsewhere in, in the world, then whatever regional warehouse is closer to that aircraft being deployed would be the one probably called upon to support that aircraft in terms of the control tower located in the States would determine which is best to support, you know, that aircraft, depending on what it requires and all this. But definitely, again, Canada has both a NORAD and NATO mission primarily. That's the role that Canada has. So again, there's benefit having one logistics and Argyle Canada together. It's because Europe and Canada are covered by our two companies. So I've in that relationship to be able to call and say how things are going and all this. It's going to be, I think, another benefit to the Royal Canadian Air Force. I think this teaming arrangement makes a lot of sense. What Rene has developed is absolutely incredible and sounds like it's just doing amazing work for the European operators. And to bring that over to Canada just makes so much sense to me. I, I can't see why why this wouldn't be a winning solution. And I commend you, uh, Jacques. Like, I mean, again, as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, it's all about relationships. So clearly you saw that in Rene when you met him a number of years ago. Hopefully it will pay dividends. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's all about relationship. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Same here. Same here, Joretti. Thank, thank you. you and so I, thank you, Jacques. Thank you, Renee. And I wish you the best of luck with this venture. It's fascinating. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this collaboration plays out and uh, how you will hopefully come to support the Royal Canadian Air Force's F 35 fleet in the future. We'll keep you informed there, George. I look forward to that, Jacques. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you, my friends. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye. That, my friends, was Jacques Comtois of Arcfield Canada and René de Koning of One Logistics from the Netherlands. If you have any questions for us at Go Bold, please reach out to us at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. And we hope you'll join us for another episode of Gold Bold. Have a great day, everyone. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.